Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 320. Resonant Theming for Greater Emotional Impact in Board Game Design. Presented by Sarah Ship, Kathleen Mercury, and Eric Slauson. This is Resonant Theming for Greater Emotional Impact in Board Game Design. Um, and let's start with who we are and sort of how we come at board game design. It just philosophically. Um, Eric, do you want to go first? Sure, yeah. Um, I am Eric Slauson. I'm a, a card and, and board game designer. Um, I mostly work on, on, on party games. Uh, that's kind of my personal passion. Um, a lot of them have an, an art or a creative focus, um, uh, just for uh, speaking of philosophy, uh, which we'll talk on a little bit later. But um, if you want to know more about me, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Slauson Designs, S-L-A-U-S-O-N. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Kathleen, do you want to? Oh, uh, my name introduce is Introduce yourself. Can, can you hear me okay? Yeah. It said my mic was okay, good. Sorry, it was my, it said my, it said my mic was cutting out. Uh, my name is Kathleen Mercury. I am a middle school gifted teacher and I've been teaching game design to kids for about 13 years. Uh, so for me as a game designer, um, I I like games that are as much fun to play as they are to win. And so for me, a lot of my games tend to fall in that 45 minute, because that's how long my classes are with students and I play test with them a ton. Um, you know, games where like thematically they have to really grab kids, but mechanically I want them to make sense. And so um, that's what I like to do for the games that I make. And I, I'm a professional scenic painter, and so I approach game design from a very sort of theatery uh, design, the design and sort of game, getting it to become a product in the world thing to me seems like just as much a collaborative art project as theater, and um, playing is a very interactive entertainment sort of genre that I feel overlaps a lot with where my professional experience lies. So that's sort of my approach to game design. I have two sign designs, um, but they're not available yet. And so hopefully you'll hear more from me soon in that regard. Um, so let's talk about what resonance is. Um, this, if you look up resonance in the dictionary, this is actually pretty close to what it says. Um, but I define resonance as game themes that have depth, shape, clarity. Uh, they don't fall flat. They don't feel amorphous or muddy. Um, in other words, when someone hears the hook of your game, they go, <gasps> because they get it. Mm -hmm. uh, it resonates within another person when you tell them about your game. And we want to talk today about how to make games more that way but do either of you is that a pretty good definition or do you want to add to that first i love that gasp uh definition um you know as a as a as a designer that focuses a lot on feeling and the feeling i can get out of people who are playing my game um i like that you a definition that it doesn't use words it uses a a gasp um but yeah i think um the only thing that i would add is um uh, accuracy, I guess, um, as far as the the theme, uh, whether that's a feeling that you're trying to get across, or maybe a you know even working with a, an IP theme or something, um, making sure that if you're going for a specific theme, that it feels accurate to the people you're tailoring it towards. So um, 
that's I think part of resonance is that um, that accuracy. I think you mentioned clarity. Um, yeah, and I would, matching ex- the expected experience with the actual played experience. Yeah, right. I, I have some more notes about that too. But yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, so that's a great definition. Well, well, what I was going to say is it makes me think back to when I was first starting to game and um, there was a game that was brought out called Primordial Soup. And like I said, this is probably like 14 years ago. You know, I mean, this is a game that probably doesn't come around too much. Um, and But it was like about bacteria and poop. And I was like, this is my jam. I like weird stuff. Like, this is cool. And then they opened up the box and the board is just like a blue grid like a four by four grid. And there were these like little hexagons with sticks that you like slide beads on to like represent um, like, I guess collecting or whatever it was. And for me, I was excited about the idea, like what the game box was selling. And now granted this is components and there's a whole other, you know, that's a whole other thing, but maybe it isn't, but I just felt so disappointed by what the game actually was a square grid with hexagons and sticks and honestly it could be a great game and i could be ridiculous which is probably true too but i immediately lost interest in playing the game because what i was hoping for was not what it was at least immediately presenting to me and it's like i don't know that i could really see how this is about poop and all this other stuff and um and I and then later I went and looked the game up and people did all these really cool like you know custom like FEMO things to really try to make it evoke the theme, but um, what the game was promising and what it was delivering at least on my initial impression was disappointing, and I think when it comes to the disconnect when we don't achieve that resonance is like when it, you know when the art is good when it works it's great you don't notice it when it doesn't work and that's when the gears grind that's when we have that sort of friction and i think that's that point where um players sort of struggle to accept what it is that we're selling sure that um really moves quite smoothly into my next point uh with sort like, of it's like poop broad <laughs> yes <laughs> Sorry, broad, sorry. <laughs> I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. A broad, broad outline strokes ways to create resonance. So some of this you basically already said. Um, mechanic theme alignment, uh, ludo narrative harmony, if you will. Um, but you know, there's more than just that. Uh, I also have use of the theme to explain the why of gameplay. Is that helps create resonance? Mm-hmm. Um, it's relatable to players on an emotional level, which is something that I've heard talked about a little bit in other panels so far this weekend, which made me really happy. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more. And also, it fills a void in the market, which I don't think is something you should design for. But it's lucky if you do it. <laughs> I think you can't plan for that. But if you can, uh, sometimes, sometimes. It, it's hard uh, you, to do that on demand. It's okay. We it is. <laughs> well, I think it is. But on the other hand, like, especially if you're working with a licensed property, you know, um, and I've done some work with licenses and various things. And the most important thing that you can do is capture that experience very intently with intention to capture that experience. So even if it's like I'm creating a game and I want to make something happen, that's great. But there are times when with the work that you're doing, you have to capture that and you really have to drive hard into what is the experience I want them to have and then work backwards. Sometimes you can create a game starting from scratch and it has this experience that you necessarily you know wanted to get or maybe were expect you know was a surprise but there are times where it's like for this game to be successful if i'm making a game about snoopy or whatever people have to feel like they're in peanuts land like there's no question Mm -hmm. so you have to you know like drive hard right into that and you have to be able to narrow what is that experience first and that has to drive what you're doing with every step of the design Oh yeah, totally, totally. But yeah. you know, um, I, I, yes. <laughs> but if you were approaching this as a new designer who um, probably doesn't have access to IPs just yet, sure. Um, then yeah, I think. Are it, you? 
do you are you thinking of um I mean, you correct me if I'm if I'm kind of yeah, misunderstanding your point, but you're you're mentioning um, trying to design to fill a a gap that you see it thematically. You know, if if we if we look at mm-hmm. something like, um, like Wingspan, for example, you yes, know, is uh, is explosive because you know it tapped into this mm-hmm. bird watching you know nature thing that that wasn't widely available part of his success is because it is a is a different theme and a, and a different approach but um it's hard to do that on purpose mm-hmm. is what you're saying yeah. yeah well so with wingspan it wasn't the first bird game out there or the first pretty bird game there's peep mods which is much smaller uh mm-hmm. it's, but it's also a bird card game that's gorgeous mm-hmm. so um i'm just well it's it's difficult, and I don't think that should be the foundation for why you're designing. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Oh no, I agree. But just to and I love Wingspan and I love Elizabeth. But one thing oh, yeah. you could probably argue though is Wingspan ultimately really isn't about birds. I mean, it's a pretty kind of abstract engine builder game. You sure. know, sure. You could substitute a whole lot of different themes into it, and it would play really well in part because it's a well-designed game, you know, I'm not trying to diminish it in any way, shape or form, but if we're going to try to like, you know, kind of nudge into what are we talking about here, you know, does wingspan really offer a bird driven experience, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think, Hey, this is a, it's a whole tangent, but as far as themes that, that resonate with people, I think there are, um, one of the the interesting things about that game um, is that it, I would say it works on both levels. If you are just playing it as an abstract, or you're like, oh, this is pretty art, you know, whatever. It it functions very well, obviously, on that level. But I think once they um, really leaned into that bird theme, a lot of the mechanics are tied into that. Um, so like the way the birds work is similar to their their mm-hmm. actual you know behavior and nature and there's a lot of like um work that they do as far as the interaction between the cards to make things if you know the birds and if you are like reading the little facts at the bottom or whatever you're like oh of course this steals a card because they steal mm-hmm. eggs from somebody mm-hmm. else's nest or whatever so that's i think it's, it, it works i on both love levels. that of course i love that of course, that's how the rules work. I would say it's probably 50-50 for me with Wingspan. I think in the details, it's very thematic, but in the overall game arc, it's less so, which happens a lot in traditional board game design. So I'm not, I, I'm in a place where I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but I am saying that I think we have a path forward to get to a new place in this art form that we're still developing. Mm. Um, Cool. Well, and certainly, like, you know, going back to Wingspan one more time, you know, the theme, because it was so different than other types of engine building games, definitely tapped into that audience that mm-hmm. were interested in, you know, either A, everything from people who are super into birds, like the Audubon Society has got, you know, tons of people into the into this game, right? But also, you know, people wanting just something different than just like, I'm building up my civilization, I'm building up my castle, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of different themes that you could theoretically, you know, just swap it out for. Um, at the end of the day, it's not, it's birds. And it's kind of audacious mm-hmm. to pick something like birds like that and have it be you know you know sellable in the marketplace i mean because one of my game one one of my games um was bird themed just and this doesn't really have a you know but was basically we switched it to dragons because even though they're basically flying chickens or whatever and those are still (laughs) birds um you know dragons are seen as more sellable on the market Mm -hmm. you know and so I think there's something to be said about, you know, when it comes to resonance, the personal experience, when it comes to what like we as humans identify with and what matters to us and what becomes important. And when we find games that present that, that match that, then that's something we want to engage with. Yeah. Sure. Corresponding, you mentioned knowing your audience. Um, and I think that ties in here. Do you want to talk about that? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, part of all of this comes somewhat with a, with a grain of salt, depending on what pathway you you see your game taking, whether this is something you're self-publishing and you can put whatever theme you want on it and, you know, you're making the game you want to make, or if this is something that you're going to pitch to a publisher, because if uh, that is the case, then obviously you want to put your best foot forward and really think about the theme that you think works with the game, but keep it in the back of your mind that they might want to switch it from birds to dragons or something like that. Um, so really, to Sarah, Sarah, your point, um, you know, uh, the mechanics still have to be there. You know, you don't rely on your theme to be the whole thing necessarily. Um, sometimes that works, uh, but uh, it definitely makes it harder to pitch to a lar- larger audience. So I will say that to, to start. But yeah, mm-hmm. knowing your audience, you know, I mentioned um, IP earlier. You know, obviously, if you're you're designing for a, a specific fan base, you better really know that IP and what the fans like about that thing. But yes. that also applies to whatever theme you're working with. So, like for tattoo stories, for example, when I was uh, uh, designing that from the from the get go, I I didn't want it to be something that like made fun of tattoos um, because I wanted it to be for a game for people who love tattoos, who love being able to talk about their tattoos and the stories behind them, um, and you know, oh, why'd you have that? And you know, oh, I love the design and and all that kind of stuff. So knowing it was it was for that community, um, um, I was really careful about the way that I, uh, you know, tweak the rules and um, the language that I use on the cards. And so there are some like little um, little jabs at some some silly things that people commonly get tattoos of. But, um, you know, I did a lot of research into, uh, you know, tattoo culture, looking for um, uh, common themes of what makes a good tattoo artist. Um, you know, the, which, why does one get famous versus an, another one? Um, and some of it is technical skill, obviously, like this person is, is better at, at drawing or whatever, but a lot of, um, tattoo artists get really famous because of the way they meld two ideas together or the way that they, um, they have this like artistic voice. You can like look at a tattoo and be like, Oh, that was done by so-and-so. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I really tried to think about if I want this to be, obviously it's a party game and I wanted it to be mass market. So I want it to be for everyone. Um, but in the way that I wanted it to be for tattoo fans, I wanted it to be for artists and I wanted it to be for people who can't draw. Um, mm-hmm. Each of those I had to keep in mind all the time um, to make sure that um, each of those people got what they were wanting um or i think in my case kathleen you were talking about looking at a box and and saying like oh i hope this um you know i hope this is true about this game or i think it's going to be about this mm-hmm. um for for that game i think i was working on the opposite direction where i it was kind of like an uphill battle i thought like i it's a drawing game so i know that people are like oh i can't draw and so my job is to by playing with the theme and playing with the mechanics kind of um reverse those expectations or to um us um make sure that they to yeah i guess to break those expectations you know if you have tattoos and it's like oh this is this game about tattoos they're going to be making fun of tattoos or you're going to be drawing, you know, whatever. And then you play it and you see, you know, how much it really um, uh, celebrates the culture and everything. So, um, yeah, kind of a roundabout way to say, yeah, think about who you're really making it for. And even in the case of making something hopefully to be a a mass market party game um, on paper, it should be for everyone, you know, because you're 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 trying to to reach the largest audience but there should definitely be some um some specific to use a a clinical term demographics that you're that you're really hoping to hook your core experience you also have your core audience the people who are going to get the most excited about it and what you were describing just now sounds a lot like you know taking the time to add depth and clarity like we were saying before, to your mm-hmm. theme and your game. Um, so if you guys don't mind, I wanna go through a few tools that I think are useful 
um, for anybody to take a theme maybe they already have in that they're working on for a game and to make it more resonant. Um, and just to, you know, not bury the lead, those tools are plot, location, time, and character. Um, your, for plot, your game objective should align with your theme. Like, the goal of your game should match your theme. Sheriff of Nottingham does this very well, I think, uh, if you need a good example. A lot of Euros don't do this that well. Um, the theme of the game, like when you read the rules lore, it's like, there's some people battling, and then you're playing a farming simulator, and I'm like, these don't match at all. Um, the actions in your plot should further than the actions of your game should further the narrative arc that you say the game is about. Mm -hmm. uh, include universal experiences, things that are you know, common to humans. Um, and you can add meaning and subtext instead of adding more uh, fantasy lore to your world. So, um, you know, you could write a six page short story about the history of your world, or you can say things like this character and this character, they're brothers. People understand that on an emotional level more than they're going to understand the cosmology of your world. Um, location, just make sure that people know what they're doing, where they are. And when we get to a character who they are, like, you're going to add that clarity to your game. And if people can latch onto it and understand it, it's going to help. Um, you, you obviously, you can't, if you're pitching it to a publisher, this is not all in your control, but location can be expressed in illustration, how characters move, the game physics. I'm thinking walking in Burano where you have to pay attention to gravity, even though it's a 2D game. It's sitting flat on the table, but gravity is a mechanic in the game. You can't build a floating roof over nothing else. Um, sushi rolls conveyor belt mechanic gives you a sense of place, even though it's a fairly abstract game. It's less abstract than Sushi Go is because it's got those little conveyor belts. And to me, that's more resonant when I just look at the game. If I didn't know either of them, if I hadn't already played one and owned it and been like, do I really need the other one? But just coming at it straight, I would have all obviously gone with Sushi Roll because to me, that's it's more interesting. Uh, time. The advancement of the gameplay should align with the time scale. Um, so if it's a real-time game, you're not playing this huge epic that involves generations. If it's a campaign game, you know, you can have a character die and people move on to a new character, but things should, the time should make sense in terms of the real time that pe people experience a session of your game or an entire play of your game. Um, and different scales produce different experiences. So Civ games, you expect a different experience out of than, again, short life games. Um, character, individual people are more empathetic than collectives. So I don't think that Terraforming Mars is a terribly uh, resonant game because you play corporations. Um, I, I, I respect people who might not agree with that, but that's, that's how I feel because that's, I respond better when I'm an individual character. Um, again, relationships can add depth, and I think that is hugely overlooked in board games. That, you know, you're... NPC character, your, your bad guy in your Atoma could have some sort of relationship, you know, it, and people understand, you know, family relationships, friendships, betrayals on that level more than they're gonna uh, latch on to the politics of a made up world. Um, and the last one is that Character goals should align with your scoring goals. What your character wants and what your player wants should be similar. Um, and I'll tell you, just to wrap this up, the game that I think does this 
the best and is one of the most resonant games I've ever played is video game Untitled Goose Game. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And if you're like, what's a real good example of a really resonant game? If you saw social media when this game first came out, it's the most resonant game. Everybody understands geese. Everybody understands small towns. Everybody wants to secretly cause innocent mayhem on some level. It's great. So mm -hmm. that's sort of, those are my like, these are tools if you're workshopping your theme and trying to figure out how you can make your components and your mechanics without, you know, starting from scratch, how you can add stuff here and there to focus on the elements that will resonate. But, you know, after a while you say that word over and over again, it's meaningless. So plot. Well, well I'm curious. Location. I have a game in mind for myself as far as, for me, the game that most delivers the experience I want. But Eric, what is when we're talking about all this stuff? And so, for Sarah said, uh, the Untitled Goose game. What would be the game that you would think of when it comes to this? Um, oh, uh, so for me, the thing that I, things are firing off in my in my mind, um, and they have they're all co-ops, um, and I mm. think part of that is because I keep uh, as you as you're talking, I'm, I'm writing down notes and everything that I, I want to like add or like oh yeah this is whatever keeps bringing me back to the the RPG space because I think mm. um, you know obviously if you have a good DM or GM they're doing a lot of this stuff in the background they're building character links they're giving you a really good sense of location they're making sure they're watching the time so that you're not spending two hours of your night walking down the same street you know whatever mm -hmm. um, yes so there's a lot of stuff and that you can learn from the RPG space and and, and the way that you uh, support your 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 narrative and your your sense of place and, and time and, and character but um in the tabletop side co-ops I, I feel do a lot of that that lifting um as as well um especially ones that are um uh time-based um because um uh, the, the one that i was immediately thinking of was um escape um escape curse of the temple which mm. is um you know and and one side you're just throwing dice and everything is such a blur that you you don't have time to really sit and appreciate the, the moving parts of what's going on but um it does feel like you are trying to get out of this crumbling you know temple it feels like you're exploring uh corridors and, and opening doors um the way that you um, you see, so you roll these these dice, and there's on one side of the dice there's like skulls, and if a, a skull comes up, you can't roll that die anymore, and you're trying to roll these as fast as possible. And um, there's a system where you can help somebody else by giving them like a golden skull, and um, a golden skull gets rid of two black skulls. So you have people like calling across the table, like I'm locked, like somebody help me, and so somebody has to run across the board and be like, oh, here's a golden skull, and so you're literally running. Um, to use your uh, Sarah, your point about the way that you, the physics of your your environment, you have to go from spot to spot to spot to spot spot to get over here to physically give them a golden die um, to get rid of the two black ones. So um, yeah, it, it does a lot of stuff with um, the sense of time because it is ten minutes. You have ten minutes to get out before the cave collapses, and that's how long the game actually is. And you're, you know, there, you're, there's not really like, oh, I'm your brother and you know, she's our mom or whatever. Like, there's that character piece isn't really every in element. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, insofar as we know, we are all indiana jones-esque mm -hmm. type people it really nails that feeling mm -hmm. of him being chased by that boulder uh and that's the whole game is you being chased by this boulder the stress of that moment so yeah i think that was the one I that want I, to play it. I was thinking of i want to play that game <laughs> so bad i've heard people talk about it over um, the years and yeah. i just it hasn't come my way yet but i, I really want to play it <laughs> it's fun what's your game kathleen um i mean for me the game that 
And I've talked about this in other podcasts and stuff too. So I probably, you know, I don't know. I'm thinking like, should like should I get another game to talk about? But honestly, it go- always comes back to, to me. When you said Escape, I brightened up. But I actually Escape, uh, escape from Atlantis. Um, and so um, with that game... Is that survive? Um, no, escape I'm sorry, from survive, Atlantis? survive, escape from Atlantis. Thank you. It's late at night, um, ish. Uh, anyway, but that game for me, absolutely, like it's such a great alignment of theme and mechanics. You know, like everything that happens in that game makes sense. You know that this island is sinking, and so that means that pieces of the island tiles are removed every turn, and you've got way more people than you can try to help at once to simulate the panic of like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? You know, um, you can do bad things to other people, or you could actually help them if you wanted to. But you know, but then there's just all the aspects of like, you know, the the monsters. There's three monsters in the game is you're trying to move all your meeples from the main island to the safety islands. And everyone knows that sharks eat people, but they, they don't hurt boats. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Everybody knows that whales smash boats, but they don't hurt people. Everybody of knows course. that. Everybody knows that sea monsters destroy everything, but they're big and slow. Like everybody knows this, right. You know? And so, um, and then you have more people than you can save. And so sometimes you can try to plan on where you put all your people. Sometimes um, you just put all your people down and see what happens. Um, and so, you know, and then at the end, you you reveal the point values on the bottom of your meeples. And so so Eric might have gotten five meeples to shore. I might have three. But if I had a higher point value, I would beat him because of the values underneath. And so what I think is really interesting is that's like one of my favorite games. And um, like for me, it's like the kind of game that I use is like sort of my model for what I want to create because there's just so much else to it that I think is just brilliant. But when I was playing that with students, um, it's gotten some interesting reactions sometimes because I had a student one time absolutely hated the fact that it wasn't basically a co-op. She's like, why would you not help other people if mm. you're on an island that's about to explode? And then the fact that the people had different values and some meeples were worth one oh. and some meeples were worth six. She absolutely hated that as well just rejected that out of hand and so and that was really surprising because i mean it's a silly little game right but it really made me think about that in terms of like the impact on games especially when it's sort of unexpected and so uh when i had an opportunity i was asked by a publisher for my students to design an expansion to an existing co-op game and i actually took survive taught it to the kids they played it and then i said okay now make this co-op and mm. so i wouldn't have probably thought about it had this student not have that experience and so for her it wasn't just i get everything i can play pretend this is escape i'm not i mean like escape from my life i'm not really you know a bad person who would actually throw real people in front of sharks and stuff like that it's okay <laughs> to do it in the game haha <laughs> it's silly and so um i think there is that sort of like when it comes to resonance, it's not just the game itself does everything you want. Cause there's some games out there, some pretty terrible themes. And like, while I get like what's happening and it might be a great game, it's not a game that I will play. You know, I mean like, I, you know, secret Hitler is a game where like you could, I mean, it's not historically accurate. Hitler never played you know, never pretended to be and you know, anything other than what he was, but, um, you know, but for some people, it's like, look, ignore the theme. It's a really good social deduction game. Totally is. But for me, it's just so distasteful thematically. Like, I won't even, I won't mm. play. I'll play Secret Voldemort. I'll play other Secret Sith. There's other, like, games out there that people have rethemed. Like, I'll play those. But when it comes to Secret Hitler, no. Because the one time I played it, guess what role I had? <laughs> You know, and I was playing it with Europeans. Yeah. So I threw a German yeah. guy under the bus and I won. Did not feel good. Didn't feel good. Didn't yeah. feel good. Didn't yeah. feel good. Hated it. Okay. Honestly, never mean, repeat that again. Oh, for sure. That is a like completely whole different pa- panel on subtext of theme and mechanics mm. that is, is a lot. Yeah. Um, 
And Sarah, so, you mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say one thing. Um, uh, you you briefly mentioned uh, that you don't have to have all of these at one time. Right. You know, um, it's, yes. it's, you don't have, this doesn't, it, not all of these dials have to be all the way up to 10, you know, and it's very hard to, to do that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and yes, yeah, so these are just, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. These are things to keep in mind and to maybe focus on and, and, and levers to pull and, and knobs to, to mm-hmm. tweak. But um, yeah, you don't have to. Um, yes. You know, I was actually, I want to, because Eric, we just met tonight. Um, yes. I think we might've, like seen each other in passing in Facebook forums, but you know, this is our first time really meeting. Um, so I want to do an example with you using my game that was signed recently. So I'm going to give you the less resonant version first, which resembles the original version of the game and then the fixed version. So how would you like to play a game where you are a European who is living in this sort of industrial or pre-industrial era and you receive inheritance from a family member and you get more money and then you're like, I want to get more inheritance. So you start killing off family members to get more inheritance over time. Um, it's, it's a little resonant. Um, okay. you, you get into the will of another family member and then you kill them off. Um, that's kind of resonant. Okay, so what? how would you like, here's the other version. How would you like to play a game where you're a Victorian woman who kills your husband to marry a richer man? Oh, all right, all right, now you go. <laughs> there you go. No, no, I didn't man. add that much. I didn't change that much. I changed the relationship between the player and the NPC. Sure, got a little Black Widow situation going on. Um, yeah, that's that, that's interesting. Yeah, a small a small shift in the in the not only the time period, but the um yeah the the, in the, the relationship Victorian era. Oh yeah yeah. So it's yeah. it's basically the same time period. Um yeah, I, I, the early version of the game was like started before and went through the industrial era, and now it's like very Victorian England because I kind of have made the game more historical. Believe it or not, <laughs> when yeah. I change the theme. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, a, a real example of how you can take an idea that's okay and then make it an idea that people go, well, almost every woman I've ever showed the game to goes, okay, where, where can I buy this? I'm like, well, it hasn't even been signed yet. Also the mechanics aren't done and it's, you play it, it, it needs work. Yeah, here's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Now. Do you, I'm curious, um, oh, I have so many questions. Um, so with, with a shift like that, well, I think any shift, and Kathleen, you can, you know, as somebody who's had a, a theme changed, um, uh, there's kind of this concept, you know, on one side you've got like in for a penny, in for a pound, where it's like, okay, if we're going to make this slightly darker, do we just like, make you a serial killer, you know, like, all right. You know, cause if you, you know, you've shifted it enough, there's kind of a gray area where it's like, oh, wait, this seems like wrong that she's doing this, you know, but if you keep pushing to where it's like ridiculous or it's silly or it's baked in, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, okay. I get it. It's tongue in, it's tongue in cheek yeah. or whatever. So, so um, a modern day setting of women killing their husbands has a very different feel than a Victorian setting. Just to add there. Yeah. Yeah. You can talk now. <laughs> so I was just, yeah, I was just curious kind of where, you know, uh, where that decision was made of like how dark to make it, you know, or how, um, uh, where to find that, where to find that, that, that balance. Um, Honestly, um, Games are abstract, a lot of them, and until you add art, and so it doesn't. It it takes a very light hand to add these details without going so far that you're trying too hard. And when I realized that my mechanical problems and my theme and mechanism misalignment would be fixed by making the player characters women getting married. I suddenly was like, 
oh no, and I know the title, and I know all the cards <laughs> I need to add, and no publisher's ever gonna want it with this theme, but I also know I'm never gonna come up with anything better, uh, mm. even in subsequent games, because it's just, it's good and it works, but I, I also had to work very hard, and that's also a completely separate panel on how to push back when your playtesters are wrong, because they <laughs> want you to change the core of your game. And you know that if you go too far that way, because some people will get excited about certain elements of your game that aren't marketable, or they are marketable, but they've been done before. Mm. Um, and finding unique things that you can turn on your head is another way to create resonance. And it, it will end up feeling like it's filling a void in the market, whether it is or not. So I guess my question is, you know, in terms of talking about this, because one thing for me personally, um, playing a lot of games, and obviously a lot of the games I've been playing, you know, since, I don't know, mid-March, um, have been online, you know, and a lot of games that I've been playing online have been of the simpler sort of variety. Um, and having found a new sort of like respect for Rainer Knizia style games, you know, where it's, a very clear, strong mechanic. There's a very clear like type of transaction relationship that you're trying to work with. And the theme themselves can be absolutely like pasted on. And so in playing these games, it's really for me about sort of like, you know, celebrating the choices that I have as a player. And so the lack of resonance when it comes to like a pasted on theme, like one game that I've been playing a ton is Lost Cities because a friend of mine likes it a ton. And um, the theme is, I'd, other than the name Lost Cities, you'd never know anything other than we're playing with five different colors of cards, you know, and that's it. Like yeah. that's the theme, you know, <laughs> colors. And so, yes. yeah. It's yeah, it's great. It's, you know, like we, it's, and it's super fun and you can be a huge jerk about it and it's great. And so the thing, so when it comes to resonance in games, if you can have an amazing game experience with something that is so incredibly abstract, why does this matter? You know, mm -hmm. if somebody's wanting to design a game, you know, why should they be focused on all of these different, you know, like little tent poles perspectives, you know, tools to create resonance? Why shouldn't they just make the game they want to make or that they're trying to make? That's a good question. I think, well, Sarah, you can go ahead. Oh, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, first of all, you should make the game you're trying to make. Um, but also what you're describing, especially with a, a perfected mechanics focus, um, is only one type of game experience. And I don't think it's the type that is ultimately going to broaden board games market share. I don't, that, I don't know that it's going to bring people in. Well, in widening the market share and bringing people in, I think are two different things. And I'm not trying to like split hairs here, you know, or anything like that. But as far as if a game delivers a really good experience, and there's something to be said about a game where I don't need to explain this whole world that I'm in, you know, like if I can just explain like here's because there are some games like, for example, the game Radis, if you're familiar with Radis, it's about the Black Death moving across Europe and you're trying to have, um, you know, as much of your population on the board at the end of the game represented by different little cubes and stuff like that. If you had to explain that game in abstract terms, people's heads would pop off and roll down the street, right? But because this game is, um, you know, like has this really fun theme, I mean, fun think black death is fun but you know what i mean it's got a really um like a, a theme that draws people's attention when you say this is mm -hmm. a game about the black death people are like oh ho you know allow me to walk in you know then you can explain all of these rules in a way that adds context and so and lends itself to understanding so even if i don't necessarily feel terror when black the black death piece is like moved into their their space Nevertheless, you know, it becomes easier just to like teach the game, you know, the different types of transactions, the different types of phases, all that other stuff. So I think there's levels when it comes to, you know, from like a basically an abstract with a pasted on theme all the way to something that is 
so incredibly immersive, like, you know, like to the gloom haven, like end of the spectrum in terms of experience for players. And I think that's an important thing to consider as well when it comes to what type of experience you're wanting to create for players, because I think you could pick any of those places on the spectrum, find validity there. I think the the real secret here is you have to figure out what it is that you're actually wanting. Um, that if you're trying to have Gloomhaven, but your game, you know, doesn't, if you don't have that depth of theme, it's okay. You know, that way you just have to like lean in and make your mechanics perfect, you know, and offer something that's never been seen before. Yeah, I think, um, well, one, if you're 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 watching this this panel, it's probably because you're interested in theme in the first place. So you know, uh, mm-hmm. you can always make a a completely you know themeless, uh, 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 incredible game like Shobu or um, something like a, a Bonanza, which I don't know if you've played that, but you're like mm-hmm. trading beans and stuff. But like it could be anything. You know, right. my favorite games are just like no- nothing. You know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, you can always go totally mechanics first and then just put something on at the end if the mechanics are are just great and and incredible um and as you're saying there's there's a spectrum there but um i think um it's it pays to be prepared i think and to have some things in your in your your back pocket if um you know you you have one of these games that you know could be anything um and you're you you get it signed or whatever some publishers um are kind of the the type that you know take your game and then a year later it comes out and you don't see it between those two points you know and some publishers are much more collaborative and want your input and they will ask you, okay, well, you know, this is kind of abstract, but what themes have you tried? Or, you know, have you play tested different themes? Or what do you think it might work? And I think it's um, beneficial to to think about some things that might be marketable, at least to to get those conversations going with, with a publisher. Um, mm-hmm. uh, for for Monstrosity, um, the it was always... Um, you know, drawing aliens uh, as like a, a men in black sketch artist um, kind of thing. Like that's that's always kind of what it was. But we toyed around with like, oh, what if you were these are like wood etchings and you're, you know, making these like uh, kind of demonic tomes like uh, from, you know, like, a, you know, um I don't know, like the Necronomicon or whatever, or like, what if, you know, you're, it's in the future and you're traveling to different planets and you're like Charles Darwin and you're, you're drawing the aliens that you see at each, at each planet or whatever. And so we did fiddle with some different things, but um, this sketch artist concept we found was the most resonant where we could just say, okay, you're a police sketch artist, but aliens and people immediately get it. They know how we're going to play. They know why it's fun. They know why it's silly. They know how we're going to score without even really going into it. So, um, uh, but those conversations, we, we still had those conversations and, and in the process of having those conversations and thinking through why it had to be that, why, um, it allowed us to make the good parts of the game better. So even if you, I would argue that if you, in the process of thinking about something to paste onto something, um, you might realize, oh, what if there was this mechanic? Or like, you know, like, oh, now that it's dogs, what if you mm-hmm. can bury something and save it later? You know, or what mm-hmm. if it's if it's dragons, what if like there's fire involved now and you know that kind of stuff? So mm-hmm. um, I think there's there's no harm in thinking about it, even if you know that this is going to be a dry euro mm-hmm. or this is just going to be a, a card game. Um, you know, because I, I I would be curious if something like the crew. Um, which has a you know yeah a sci-fi theme. We're on the ship and we're trying to do these. Each uh, each round has a different mission and a, a whole backstory of what's going on with the ship and what's happening with the the space crew. It's a trick taker at heart. So I would be very curious if they design the trick taker first, you know, and oh here's the twist and you're it's a co-op trick taker and they just played that a whole bunch mm-hmm. of times, um, and then just put 
space on it or if they kind of came up together and if one informed the other. If they landed mm-hmm. on space and were like, oh, now we need an anti-gravity level. Now we need a space virus net level. Now we need the solar panels to mm-hmm. be gone. And that, uh, if you've played the crew, I don't remember how many missions there are. They're like, there's like 50 or 150 or something crazy. Um, yeah, that they are informed the mechanics are informed by the theme of that mission mm-hmm. you know oh this person is now quarantined with a space virus so now we have to skip them every round like you know or whatever um when we're, we're playing our cards so um i think the two can inform each other um i don't um just like the the tools there that you mentioned it doesn't have to be all one thing or another thing it doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. either pasted on or incredibly integrated um to Mm -hmm. kathleen to your point it's just figure out where on that spectrum is the is the sweet spot um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well okay thank you you, ten well and so i you know in thinking about this i honestly i get super fussy when even still when a game like purports to present something thematically you, Kathleen. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then it doesn't deliver on that you know and and especially when it comes to like a euro or something like that when there's like the game trickerian is a big monster game there's like worker placement eighty thousand people do it i remember i was so overwhelmed when i played that game that i did the bare minimum i put on my magic shows and i just kept repeating actions and luckily it actually i won because uh, I didn't, I didn't out overbuild that I couldn't like sustain. You know what I mean? I was just like the little point engine that could, and that was it. Um, and and so even with all of this stuff going on, and just like fundamentally, I was just kind of doing that one play ritual like over and over and over again. I was okay with the fact that there was eighty thousand decisions. Not my jam. Okay with it. But the one thing was is there's the part where you take um, like the little tiles, and they have like the little like designs on them and you have to like create little patterns with tiles. And I just thought that makes no sense. I can totally see sending out your workers to get the stuff to put on you know, and to me that was the most gamery kind of like, they came up with this cool puzzle thing and they wanted to use it somehow. It was so like added on to me. I didn't understand what the benefit of it was like for scoring or whatever. Like it didn't seem to make sense to me in this world that they were building, you know, like mm. I was okay with being overwhelmed by 80,000 different places. Cause I could totally see where game wise, you would really try to like build a magnificent engine, you know, to do that. But for me, it was just that one thing that I was just like, why, why, you know, mm. and, and then speaking about retheming, you know, going from, you know, pigeons pooping on people to um, dragons. Ooh, I turned off my video. Ta, there's my hand. Um, so from pigeons pooping on people to dragons firebombing villages, you know, we I, first thing I did was, okay, boom, now let's, like, boom, now it's officially dragons, same pieces, same everything, didn't work, didn't work, yeah. didn't make sense anymore, you know, because dragons don't live in cities, and my board is three-dimensional, there are buildings everywhere, and so in working through so many different things, then it's like, well, obviously there need to be, like, mountains on the outside of this village so all the buildings got pushed to the edges you know and the actions that you take there used to be two dexterity uh, you know actions now there's four you know i all the different ways you had i had to play with it now it's scenario based so i jokingly call it gloomhaven meets flick them up it's fine um it's dragon rock classic games like 2021 yeah um but that's the thing like when you're retheming a game like if if it really is something where you can just pay something on and it is pretty removed from like reality. But if you want it to be real, want it to feel real, I want people to feel like a dragon. And if there's one last thing I'll say is when I have um, my students play test with each other, when I'm play testing and there's questions, there's four things that like four parts it's called the wink. And it's like what works in the game. Um, four things that I want them to find out from others when they're play testing or to think about themselves. What works in the game? What needs improvement? That's the I. What new ideas do other people have to give you, especially for my students? They they will they want to tell you. But the cue is questions. And then, and you know, the more you know developed they get as designers, then they can come up with their own questions, especially when they're actually trying to look for something. But in the beginning, the first question is, did you feel like like a pirate? 
you know, if the game is about piracy, did you feel like a dragon? If you didn't feel like a dragon, what would make you feel more like a dragon? It's like that type of getting people's feedback as far as matching the experience that they're expecting versus what you're delivering is so important to really hone in from, from the beginning because it's like, well, you know, pirates drank a lot of rum and there's no rum in the game. And it might be something you're like, oh... I think I do need a rum. Maybe I want to make rum the actual resource. And then that could turn into a whole thing because they drink the rum. Then they might make, act, make take crazy actions, you know, as opposed to just like logical actions and, you know, whatever. Like you can have all kinds of fun with it because, hey, it's rum, you know. But you don't get that necessarily unless you ask sometimes. So there mm -hmm. you go. The, uh, thank you. Thank we you. will wrap it up. That That is the downside of uh, highly thematic games is that when there's a mismatch, it is very obvious mm -hmm. and yeah. people will latch onto it. Um, so yeah, that's where tweaking your theme is something that's can be very useful or tweaking your mechanics to, you know, bring all of that into better harmony. Um, so let's, I guess, any final thoughts first? Any last advice? Well, uh, Sarah, you said you were a, you're a, a scenic uh, painter. I Yes. Uh, so, like in like a theater backdrop, is is that what I'm thinking? Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. All right. I, so, I paint yeah. walls and floors. Basically, <laughs> yeah. well, I, I, I can't thinking, do game art. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of this carries over into into other art forms. You know, like in, mm -hmm. in theater, you can definitely. I have been to plays where there was just a chair in the middle of the stage. And you know, I was crying by the end of the of the play or whatever, just because of the the way it was directed or the you know the the power of the performances. And this that's something that you know would equate to this this dry euro. There's no dressing on it, but it's the power of the mechanics, the way people are interacting with each other that is is powerful. Or you can have a the, something like The Lion King, where you know a, a Broadway production where things are you know really thematic. Those are animals, like I you know I'm really on the on the the Serengeti or whatever, um, and that carries its own power. So um, you know you can you can see this in in music. What how how many how instrumental you want your song to be? You know acapella or you you have. 30 people, a 30 person band, you know, backing you, you know, um, it's really, you know, make the, the art that you want to make. Um, uh, but you know, I will be the, some, somewhat of the, the, the voice of reason that it, uh, there is a business side of things. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these things we're, we're just telling you to, to keep in mind for, for one marketability, um, to ease of pitching to publishers um, to help them to see what the game could be um, mm -hmm. uh, with a little bit more work and uh, uh, finding an audience, which kind of works with all of that. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, make the game you want to make, but uh, some of these things make it easier to get it actually out there to a lot mm -hmm. of people. So that's, that's what I'll say. Yeah. I would just real quick, I would say be able to distill down like, who or what your game serves, you know, when it comes to, you're not going to be able to do everything, you know, whatever, what is, what does this game serve? Who is like, who is this, you know, like the, the God that this game serves, however you want to phrase it, but basically be very, very clear about what the game is and the experience that you're delivering. And just always keep thinking that in your mind, is this hitting that, that in that I, what is my game doing? What it, who, what I wanted to serve, who I wanted to serve, figure that out. <laughs> Reward it better, get back to me. But you know what I mean. And Sarah, yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, small games can still have resonant themes. Mm -hmm. Basically, every board game I mentioned tonight was a smaller game that had a resonant theme um, because of answer. small details. You don't have to add a ton to make it just mm -hmm. feel right. Uh, really, really quickly. Um, I am Sarah Ship, and if you want to find me, I am in uh, design groups on Facebook, or if you're not into design, join the Cats with Backpacks Facebook group. That's my other, uh, one of my games was signed, that's a line of games, Yay! but I, I will be in that group, or my blog, uh, shipboardgames.blogspot, I'll put it in here, and I'll be in the Discord afterwards. Um, you guys go ahead and, if you want to say where you're findable. 
KathleenMercury.com. All my game design teaching resources are available for free. KathleenMercury.com. <laughs> and I am at Slauson Designs on, on Twitter and, and Instagram. Uh, S-L-A-U-S-O-N Designs. Um, uh, you can find tattoo stories uh, on uh, Amazon, your local game store, uh, Target, um, and Monstrosity is coming out uh, at the end of this month. Uh, Who's publishing you can still it? Pre-order it. Uh, Deepwater Games. Uh, oh, so nice. you can pre-order it from their website, and you get a free expansion right now uh, for the next Ooh. week or so. So um, yeah, you can hop on that. And uh, I just want to say thanks again. This is really fun and great mm -hmm. conversation. Yeah. I'll be over in the Discord. Um, good night, you guys. Good night.